This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and today I'm joined by Jane Jones. Kia ora, Jane. Kia ora. I was about to say where you are, but I have no idea where you are. Where are you? (laughs) I'm an autotahi. And how was your... Christchurch. (laughs) Is that home for you? Yes, it is, yep. Have you been there long? Uh, I think I've been here about 17, 18 years. They would yeah. almost be almost be thinking you're a local. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I still don't call myself a cantab, but I'm not sure why. <laughs> Where are you from before that? Um, Manawatu. So we've been asking people how their bubble life was, and now we're into the – is it the fourth year of bubbles? No, it must be the third year. The We've been going through this bubble thing for quite a while now. How was your bubble life? Oh, our bubble life was um, really good, actually. Well, I, I'm, I, I, I'm sort of thinking back to that first bubble in autumn, maybe. Yeah. Um, so the weather was beautiful in Canterbury. And I had um, two boys, I have two boys and a husband, and um, we're really into the outdoors. Um, so we took our local park to mean the Port Hills, um, which was uh, could have been breaking the rules by some people's measurements, but we live very close to the Port Hills. So we um very active family, so we spend a lot of time, we'd sort of stay home in the morning and do some work, and then we'd, we'd head out for big runs and bike rides and um, we just got – we were all super fit and um, really loving the, the sleeping in and the taking it slow. And, um, yeah, so for us, my husband works from home anyway, so um, I, we we just really enjoyed it. So for him, was it, what are all these people doing in my office? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's pretty good at uh, – just casually fitting work around everything else, so he's 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 always got time for exercise. And were you working then? Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to actually. This sounds hard to believe, but I'm trying to remember. I think I got um, a new job, sort of near the end of that lockdown, and I did that for a year. Um, so I'm a vet. Um, so I sort of went into this quite stressful kind of space near the end of that lockdown, trying to do lockdown vetting. Um, oh, I don't know if you experienced it, but I suppose a bit like going to the GP where everybody had to stand outside and wear masks and you had they had to hand over their animal very tentatively and you examined it without the owner present or you tried to get all of the history standing in the car park while it's raining. and um, Yeah, so it was kind of a whole new way of vetting and... Uh, sort of a mixture of very inefficient and quite stressful um, at times. Yeah. At least you knew your patients didn't have COVID. Well, there was, I don't know if you remember, but there was some debate about that. I mean, I never believed they were a risk to me, but there was was debate about that early on. Um, People thought that they could carry it in their mouths or whatever. Um, But, you know, I I think that's been proven to be um, very one-off kind of cases. It's not a real thing. And I suppose you would have been seeing more urgent cases because people would have been putting off minor things because it was so complicated doing anything at the time. 
Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I know it was like everything took a really long time and it was, so I don't think clinics were making very much money because you had to sort of, all the consults just took forever because you were having to to and fro out to car parks and things. Um, and we were trying to stay in two different bubble groups in the clinic so that if one lot went down with COVID, the other could keep working. And um, yeah, I think one of my main memories was was probably um, the horribleness of doing um, euthanasias um, with people who, in theory, they they weren't even they weren't even really wanting them to be with their pet, and that was just I I just wanted to break the rules for that. It was a bit heartbreaking trying to have your distance from people and they're trying to, you know, be with their animal and it was just it was just not a very nice time. I can imagine that would have been most awkward. Let's brighten the mood with some of your first of your music choices. Let's have Florence and the Machine, her new single King. Why this one? Yeah. Um well I'm I kind of um I think it would be overstretching it to say I sing in a band, but we have a, a group of friends who um, get together and play some music every now and then, and somehow I ended up nominated to be the singer, even though I'm not, I wouldn't call myself the singer. But um, I found, I this was came on the list the other day, and I've started sort of listening to it quite a bit just lately, so it's just a very recent listening thing for me. And I think I like it because it's kind of... Um, it's playing around with, with what a woman is and a role, and I love some of the, the sort of quite poetic kind of um, lyrics to it. Um, and the woman's got a pretty pretty cool voice, actually, as well. And I also, it's got um, a bit of orchestral stuff going on. It's quite dramatic, and kind of um, she kind of almost talks the lyrics at times. I, I just think it's quite a cool song. About whether to have children About the world ending in the scale of my ambition And how much is art really worth The very thing you're best at Is the thing that hurts the most But you need your rotten heart Your dazzling pain like diamond rings You need to go to war To find material to sing I am a mother I am a bride
But I love to dress it up I was never satisfied And never let me go Just drag me by my hair So, Jane, you were working as a practicing vet, and now you're doing research for Otago Polytechnic for Tipukanga Otago. I'll get used to its new name one day. How did that come about? Um, I got into conversation with um, a woman called Francesca Brown, who um, who was actually a year behind me at vet school, and she heads up the Otago Poly Vet Nursing um, uh, sort of courses. Um, and she was doing some research. She'd originally done some research into well-being and practices, I think a master's thesis. Um, so I'd heard her talk about her, her stuff, and well-being started to really interest me over the last few years um, as I've kind of tended to stand back and observe, you know, dynamics and practices. Um, and so we got chatting, and I said, look, if you ever need a research assistant, you know, let me know. And she got back in touch um, and we had a conversation over coffee and she was doing this, well, she's done it, We've, I've been involved with a few little projects, but we did this really, we we're doing this really cool project uh, called Client Stories Project. We basically, we've, she, she found a whole lot of clients that were willing to have a chat and we rang them up, had about an hour talking to them and we were trying to just explore their feelings um, around their veterinary experiences. So, what did they? Um, what are some of their memories or their stories relating to veterinary visits and the animals, and uh, what what they remember feeling or things that sort of struck them, so the good and the bad, um, and and also we explored a little bit about value for money or cost, how they felt about that, um, and I I'm um, I love words and I love I love people's stories, and so for me it was just really cool getting some great quotes. Um, from some of those interviews, quite enlightening to hear it from out, standing outside of I'm not talking to them as my client, I'm talking to them as just person to person and hearing their stories. Um, and then that grew into um, they got some research money to start looking, I, I can't even, I don't think we've even got a title for the project, but basically starting to look at um, Māori uh, representation in the veterinary industry and some of the things we should be considering in terms of culture um, in the veterinary industry um, and so I was sort of tasked with uh, basically because I put my hand up starting to do a bit of literature review um, and starting to explore this as a topic um, so yeah that's kind of that's kind of where I've started and um, yeah it's a <laughs> our our industry is not well represented culturally. Um, there is only around two percent of vets uh, identify as Maori, and 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 the population is around sixteen percent. Um, maybe a few more vet nurses. So I've been um, doing a lot of reading from the human perspective on human nursing and cultural safety. Uh, starting to think about uh, what. Um, some places are doing around the world in terms of being more culturally aware. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. You can I won't dribble on, so you can ask me some more questions. <laughs> Back to the let's, let's let's start unpicking that. Let's go with the stories. What what have you done with those stories, or what's the plan for those stories? Um, the stories, the the plan for them. We're we're fairly new to this qualitative research thing, so we're um, basically trying to theme up. What, what are some of the common themes that are coming out? Um, and then, um, then you know, produce sort of, I suppose, Francesca will eventually be sort of writing up some sort of a paper on some of those themes. So um, off the cuff, I would say that um, all, all the things that, a lot of the things that you'd kind of expect, like um, 
you know, for people, the relationship they have with the vet and the trust they have with the vet is really, really important. So for those often in those smaller practices where they're on a first name basis and they feel known and the animal is known, that's a really important part of their emotional experience of the vet. Um, people can feel, I had yeah, a conversation with one person who was just um, deeply grieved by an experience where there was just really poor communication given by a vet. So it was obviously um, nothing had gone horribly wrong, but something different from what she'd expected had happened. And um, it had been a very powerful and upsetting experience for her. And even two or three years down the track, she still found it hard to set foot in this clinic. Um, so I think um, for me, I've done a lot of reflecting on my career and sort of stepping back and thinking more about the psychology of it because I think that um, it sort of strikes me that people um, have got these animals that can't talk for themselves so they're kind of quite um, emotionally vulnerable sometimes because they, they're wanting to do the best for the animal and they're relying on you as a vet or a nurse to try and um, advise them what to do um, and they're sort of open to um, being quite upset or quite um, hurt, as well as being really delighted and and being really you know um, feeling really bonded emotionally to their to their practitioners. So it's um, I think it's a lot more complex psychologically than we're often than we were ever taught at vet school. Um, when I went through 25 years ago, we didn't get any lectures on communication. So we spent a lot of time learning all the science, but we, we didn't spend any time thinking about um, really the psychology of people and the complexity of the interactions that we would have. And that set a lot of us up for some very difficult interactions through the years. And I, I feel like we've, we've really got to be doing a better job at addressing this in the industry. Do you think that the education of vets and vet nurses has changed since then? Has it become somewhat ironically more human? Um, I think I, 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 Francesca would be a better person to talk to about that as far as the vet nursing goes. As far as the vet degree goes, I know that they've introduced some um, some curriculum, um, some parts of the curriculum are sort of focusing a little bit on on communication. So I suppose the psychology of communication. So I know that, that they've improved that since I was there. Um, I know that currently there is nothing about tikanga Māori or the Treaty of Waitangi or um, uh, sort of cultural safety yet in the curriculum. So I'm going to be interested to to see what happens in that space and I'd I'd love to be a part of it in some ways. I'd love to see that change. Do we know what the cultural practices might be around Te Ao Māori and, and in the that practice? No, I think um that's this is this is a fascinating area because there's just so there's not nothing nothing really written on um, so I'm thinking particularly about companion animals. So this is like your dogs and cats and rabbits. Um, so the large animals is probably a slightly different scenario. Um, but there's very little written because I think that um, the, 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 the most important uh, tikanga would be just around the people and how you treat people. And that's starting to be thought about in the in the human nursing and medicine spaces definitely um, for, with trust building with the client but it is it, I'm just finding it really fascinating to try and to think about where the animal slots into that because um, obviously traditionally Māori didn't have pets like we have pets now where they weren't owned they, they might have dogs in the village or whatever so there's not necessarily a lot of handed down thinking around that so I'm about to start having some interviews with some uh, Māori nurses and hopes and a vet and hopefully some clients eventually to get their thinking on on what we need to be considering. We had on the show a while ago Ron Wakari from 
Simon Fraser in British Columbia, who's written a book recently called... Uh, I've forgotten what it's called. No, I haven't. It's called um, Beyond Human-Centred Design. I just made that up. I think that's what um, it's called. But it's a yeah. an exploration of designing for more than human. We ha- we're not very good at that, are we? We're, we're, in fact, we're not very good at thinking beyond a very instrumental version of designing for what we need right now. And the we in that is very small. It's very much, this is about us and me. But if we try and extend out our thinking to to animals, to the environment, lots of our techniques fall apart. Yeah. And and obviously I, I'm sort of just, I'm, I'm so new to this, so a lot of your listeners will probably think, oh, my goodness, this is, this is old news. But, um, you know, just getting my head around the fact that I've, I've grown up in a in a very westernised and sort of I suppose colonised educational setting with a huge emphasis on science, and for me I've become I'm becoming in middle age more interested in the sort of the spiritual aspects of our you know emotional connections and what goes on between people and animals, and um, I think that we we need to enlarge our view of what what health and what well-being actually looks like, even for animals um, and for people. So I, I feel like the veterinary industry has been hugely focused on science and all the things that we can do for an animal to make it better, which seems like what a lot of the clients would want. But um, often people leave feeling really aggrieved and upset, even when you've done all the things that you think need to tick all the boxes. And I think we're just missing some really important sort of emotional or spiritual aspects to that connection and to that interaction that we just, we haven't been given the tools for. We heard a lot at the start of the pandemic that it was unprecedented. And Jean Ross and I wrote a paper along the lines of it's only unprecedented if you forgot the last time that it happened. And Christchurch has been through trauma before. Do you think that might have made it easier for people in Christchurch, particularly with the relationships with their animals or the the important or being quite prepared for that that higher role for well being? I don't I don't know. I think I think one thing that Christchurch people might be slightly more adapted at is just having all of your expectations kind of um, thrown up or into the air. So, you know, when, when you went through the earthquakes, you know, we, we had no idea when we'd finally get our houses fixed and everything got put on hold and and then you'd arrange one thing and then and then that would be put off for another year or two while they were trying to fix whatever and so I think you know I think the pandemic has sort of felt like this like you have to keep holding things lightly and it maybe maybe Christchurch people um maybe we're better at holding things lightly and knowing that something isn't going to happen overnight and it's um yeah giving giving up um, holding on to those, the, the feeling that we're in control because <laughs> we certainly felt out of control, you know, in the earthquakes. So we were spending a lot of time during the pandemic waiting for some miraculous return to business as usual, perhaps only to realise that that wasn't going to happen. But maybe Christchurch was better at that, uh, not expecting a business as usual. Yeah, well, we I mean, we're still fixing our city. I mean, you know, we've still got this kind of reasonably sort of, um, you know, haphazard kind of city centre that people are still fixing their houses here. So, um, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I would, I don't think I can speak for the people of Christchurch, but I'd, I'd say that for me, um, you know, I don't. You sort of have to just. Um, you kind of have to keep keep going with your life, but you can't afford to sort of plan. I suppose planning is is difficult, isn't it? You, when you when you you plan everything and then you expect it to happen, you you have to let go of that. You have to be constantly okay with a change of plan or a new plan. 
bubble sprite of the forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making things better. Thank you. Now, of course, we find ourselves in the year 2023. And there's so much, of course, that we can do, that we can share, that we can be, that we can care about, we can enshrine with our thoughts, with our heart, with our strong spirits, unique, miraculous consciousnesses. How wonderful. What an exciting adventure for us all. So I really hope for you all this time of celebration has restored and renewed you, has returned you to yourself, to your home within you, to your inner sanctuary, to your inner Paris, to your inner landscape of rest, of recharge and of homecoming. I know for myself I've loved this festive season. I've been very grateful for the time spent with my beautiful friends and whanau celebrating what has been a year of many ups and downs and great triumphs despite all of these changes. And of course, finding ourselves together in a new year is so exhilarating. And of course, as a species, we love to conceptualize time. We love to conceptualize these moments when we move from one phase to another. And being at the start of a new cycle is so exciting. There's so much potential energy that presents itself to us. So many new ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling. And the capacity, the capability to let go of those old ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling that are no longer right for us, no longer fit us, and no longer serve that beautiful vision that we carry within us and choose to share with the world. I know for myself, I'm just loving the opportunity to reconnect with my physical health and well-being, my tenana, and each day having that opportunity to explore and swim and climb and walk and listen and look and really be grateful and experience the world again is such a wonderful gift and I hope you're having the opportunity to do this too. Even just walking a different way, even just exploring a small part of our rohi that we haven't experienced for some time can be such a gift to ourselves and if you have gone further afield and you are really exploring new places i hope it's a wonderful wonderful adventure for you and i hope it is renewing and rejuvenating and you are feeling the brave and courageous and intrepid adventurer that you are I know for myself this new year is so exciting because I am really wanting to develop my ability to analyse and interpret my thought processes and use this investigation to more creatively share my experiences. And in doing so and taking note of my pathway of thoughts and feelings, observations, of course, I'm able to see so many beautiful patterns arising. And these patterns echo the cycles of the living world. And these patterns, of course, echo throughout all our lives. We have so many shared patterns of growth and change. And it's wonderful to celebrate these together. So this new year is just very creatively inspiring for me. And I hope it is for you too. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. I'm talking with Jane Jones in Otutahi Christchurch, who described herself as an active person, but at the moment at the moment she's getting around on a knee scooter. What happened? Oh, this is actually a really great story. I'm so thrilled I've got the chance to sort of share this on radio. So normally I um, you know, for recreation I run up um my local hills and go mountain biking and 
you know, go do a bit of little low key tramp, you know, tramping and things. But um, my uh, my parents have just moved to Christchurch, and my father has unfortunately got a Parkinson's diagnosis. So I went along to um, I'm trying to get him involved in various classes to help him with movement and coordination. Um, so we were going along to a Parkinson's exercise class. It was the second time we'd been, and we were I was helping out, and we were in the middle of um, a game called I call it the chiffon toss. We'll call it the chiffon toss. So basically, you partner up with someone, and bearing in mind most of the room is filled with sort of elderly shuffling men with Parkinson's, and then there's me, um, and. We were throwing the chiffon into the air and then you lurch forward and try and grab your partner's chiffon while they try and grab yours because it's sort of, you know, floating down. And then you do then you turn around and do the same thing again. So I had tossed my chiffon, was accelerating off at high speed from a spot, because you know that's essential in a Parkinson's exercise class. And boom, the sort of audible sort of sound of a gun, sort of a muffled gun going off, echoed around the room in my ears, and I hit the deck and I thought, I have broken, I've ruptured my Achilles. And I was soon gathered, soon a group of sort of, you know, Parkinsonian men were sort of staring blankly down at me, wondering what the heck had happened, uh, while I sort of, you know, raged at the floor uh, because I knew what my next few months would hold. And is it? Do they operate on it, or is that just a wait and see, or just look after it a lot? <laughs> they do both. Um, they, they, they generally go for conservative treatment. So I'm in a moon boot um, at the moment, and um, they sort of, you know, you sort of have a program of about eight to ten weeks of gradually sort of lowering your heel down to the ground um, with very limited exercise, and no, you know, you're not meant to be weight bearing on it, and so on. Um, and then if you if you ha- are unlucky enough to re-rupture it, they'll go in and operate um, and join it back up. But basically, they do they do heal with conservative treatment, but it's um, a very long process. And I suspect that's thrown your summer plans into some disarray. It has, it has. It's, I know this is meant to be a positive podcast, but I do find myself. Um, you know, feeling reasonably despondent in some mornings. <laughs> so are you sending the rest of the family out up the hills and and you're watching them go or are you making them do alternatives as well? Uh, a mixture. I've got a son and another son in a cast. He's broken three metre tassels as well, <laughs> doing something else. And another son who's sort of recovering from some sort of slightly post-COVID kind of fatigue sort of situation. So out of four of us, there are three who who are somewhat um, disabled, which is a a surprising place to find ourselves in. Well, you could put together a Frankenstein and have like one and a half good people. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's actually quite hard to find really cool things to do. You know, this is a really great experience for learning about what living with disability is like because, you know, the list of what you can't do is um, quite long and um, it's uh, it requires a lot of, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a baby when it comes to learning sort of this positive aspect of thinking of all the things that I can do and being really optimistic about that. The theme of this show is, or was, positive but not deluded. And a while ago, we got convinced to include to change it to positive with a dash of deluded. Yeah. So, how does a positive mindset frame itself for you? Oh, how does a positive mindset? Um, well, I suppose you have to sort of um, think about the things that you can do. Um, I am. Uh, into, I, I love creative writing, um, and so I'm trying to see this as an opportunity to actually slow down and write. But I think often, um, often you have to sort of allow the emotions to 
to happen a bit and feel the frustration and the annoyance and all that and then sort of gradually absorb the lessons. Like you can't, I don't think I can necessarily snap into a positive mindset overnight and some days are going to be better than others but um, there are so many things to be grateful for um, and I I know that I sometimes need to slow down and this is a great opportunity to to uh, slow right down and um, just uh, be able to see the world from another perspective of one that is not you know physically able I've got a doctorate learner who is doing his professional practice research in an environment in which it is completely impossible to get um, ethical permission to to tell the stories unless you heavily write the sto- write the stories he- with a heavy dose of metaphor rather so that you really really can't tell um, anything about the people involved and then we realized that we needed to practice that so a group of us have spent the summer so far working on a list of creative writing prompts and we found that most creative writing prompts were about ideas for the story and we had the stories what we wanted was different ways of telling the stories so we uh, we wrote a list of about a hundred different prompts for thinking about different genres and so that's been the the story of my summer so far has been spending a bit of time in the morning writing the same story each week, but in seven different ways. It's been most entertaining and quite difficult. It's difficult thinking about how to tell stories in different different ways. So different kind of genres or how does it work? Yeah, so like the first week was um, write your story as a, a script for a children's t- television. Um, okay. The next day was explain... No, that was the following week. Uh, explain your sto- explain your story to a five year old. Um, tell your story as a conversation via text. Um, ah. There was one that was tell it in the style observational style, like Bill Bryson, so that the thing you're actually telling is almost superfluous for all of the observations that you're making. So we came up with a hundred of these. We came up with a hundred of these different things. So. We're going. We're going to be ex. We're going to be experts at it by the, by the end of the, whatever it is, eighteen weeks. I um, I teach. Um, I go out to Christchurch Men's Prison once a week and 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 take a group doing creative writing. So I might have to borrow some of your prompts. <laughs> well, yes, they're more than welcome to them because we we. I thought it would be easy to find the sort of thing we had in mind, and it was kind of a surprise that we couldn't find what we had in mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Let, let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Alicia Keys, If I Ain't Got You. What's the story with this one? Oh, I just I just love the song. I love um, – I play the piano. I love her, her piano um, playing – it's as simple as that. I love it. it's kind of soul solely and um she's got a great voice. Yeah. It's as, it's as simple as that.
Jane, I know that you're looking at the practice of vet nursing in terms of sort of wider themes and in terms of things like sustainability. Do you think there's any lessons that we can take for how we think about our practice or for society in general um, from the pandemic? I don't know. I don't know if I could make that connection with vet nursing. I think um, relationships are always just are really important. So keeping um, keeping people connected, you know, like I think it's really, it's been quite difficult in the pandemic to stay stay sort of in that, with that, those face-to-face kind of just hanging and being with people kind of relationships. And um, I suppose, is you know, lots of us have gone down, people have gone down rabbit holes and they've ended up in sort of, getting all divided over things and I think there's just nothing beats um, being with people um, and trying to understand the world through their perspective and I guess that's one of the things that I'm learning about cultural safety is it's basically an attitude it's it's about trying to put aside you know some of your beliefs and biases and thoughts about the world and really listen into what how the other person sees it and I guess that's a lesson for everybody, um, especially through the pandemic. Everybody, nobody's nobody's evil, nobody's horrible at their core. They're, they're all just trying to do their best often, and, and it's our job to try and um, really hear that and, and believe in them and, and listen out to what they're trying to say. That sounds like a good plan. I have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, okay. I entered um, the National Triathlon uh, earlier this year um, in Taranaki for my age group. And I um, the, I entered it the day before. Uh, my sons were both there doing it. And, and I won it for my age group. Um, and but the only thing that I should tell listeners is that I was the only person that entered in my age group. But <laughs> I just thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> have you found somewhere to swim yet? You haven't. You still haven't got a proper swimming pool, have you? Oh, we well, we have a we have a great outdoor pool just near us actually that opens over summer. We swim in the sea. Um, unfortunately, I can't swim at all at the moment. But um, yeah, we just go to Littleton and swim at the sea there near um, near Corsair Bay. It's just beautiful. That sounds very nice. We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. 
What's your sure. superpower? Probably asking annoying, difficult questions. Is that a superpower? <laughs> That's my job. Annoying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I like, I think writing poetry is maybe my superpower when I get around to it. All these extra things keep popping out. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? Oh, I think that might be a bit a bit far fetched. Um, I'm I'm no, I don't, I don't I don't think I could be brave enough to call myself an activist. I'm a, I'm a stirrer. <laughs> <laughs> so, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? A hoist at the moment. <laughs> yeah. What motivates me? Oh, I I think. Like a lot of people, I, I want to make the world a better place. I want people to feel um, uh, better about themselves and cared for. I'm, I, I love being trying to be compassionate. Um, there's a lot of people that are a lot worse off than me, and I, I, um, I, I guess I, I want to do better than just looking after myself. And what's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Oh, I don't, I don't know really. I think, um, I think just uh, wobbling my way through middle age is enough at the moment. <laughs> Re redefining myself, it's it's hard when you when you get to the middle of your life and you're not sure that you still want to be what you thought you were and and you're trying to work out where you're headed. So it's kind of a, a, a sort of a slightly lost sort of meandering space. But I'm going to be doing my second year of learning today or next year, so that'll be a pretty big challenge. Well done, you. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Oh, um, any advice? I should have thought about this beforehand, shouldn't I? Um, I'll be a good listener. I think that's um, what I'm trying to work at for the rest of my life. Especially if you're listening to Blowing Bubbles. <laughs> Jane, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I think you're doing amazing work in so many different areas. So thank you very much for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Tipu Kenya Otago. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. 
You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We have a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is in honour of Lovett, the Cat Empire. Hello. I'm Sam Mann in Sawyer's Bay to and I've been joined from Ultratory Christchurch by Jane Jones. The fact was blowing bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Mighty well. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.